are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. The road to Hana is a highway that is 64 miles in length, over 64 miles in length, that runs on the east side of the island of Maui in Hawaii. The trip, although it's only 64 miles, takes nearly seven hours to completely drive the road to Hana. It's considered the fifth most dangerous road in the world. There is nothing but sharp, blind turns, one-way roads, one-car bridges on roads that continuously turn and barely, and if some parts, not even able to have two cars on the same road. For our 15th wedding anniversary a few years ago, Kristen and I visited Hawaii, and we went to the island of Maui, and we rented a jeep and drove the road to Hana. It was a pretty intense drive, but it was a beautiful drive. Cliffs, the ocean, waterfalls, beaches, mountainsides, and it was just a a spectacular trip to, to drive that road. Your best bet was to stay on the road, although we had moments where we we ventured off, but you stayed on the road, and it was just a fascinating trip. And I want to just show you a brief video of our drive, a little bit of our drive on that road. Just showing you how the road gets so narrow, you kind of pull over a weight out of caution which I appreciate. Tom, what were you trying to say before I cut you off in the last We've almost captured so many amazing things. (laughs) And just as it passes, we get the camera on. You should see the things we almost caught. So you can see the road was windy, and what I was saying there was um, we were trying to capture some beautiful sights, and, and they were just coming up too fast, and by the time we pulled our camera up, it was gone. But it was an amazing thing in a road that's so unique, a road that stands out in the landscape of the world. And I, it reminded me of our passage that we've been Quoting Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall be found there. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy. On their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. It's a unique road, a road that even though it appears dangerous, that the righteous will not go 
astray. Tonight we conclude our doctrinal series called The Road to Salvation. Doctrine matters. Theology matters because theology sets you on a course. And our purpose for this series is to help us see the path that God has for us and has laid out in His Word to help us find eternal life. And ultimately, the goal is that we would obey the truth of God's Word so that we can find that eternal life. And what we realized in a quick recap is we need saved from our sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to be saved because we're all sinners. This sin, too, has a consequence. It separates us from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sin has a consequence of death, but the salvation that God provides gives us eternal life. And so how do we receive this salvation? It only comes through Jesus Christ. We're saved through, from our sin by Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we talked about salvation, we talked about it in three ways. First, there's the aspect of the past. We say we were saved, meaning that at a past time, we received forgiveness of sin. We received freedom from sin's control and power and a power to live for God. So it was a past experience. And then we can also say that we are saved because we presently enjoy forgiveness of sins, the power to live for God, and uh, freedom from the power and effects of sin in this present life. And then we can also say that salvation is still in the future. We still live in a sinful and imperfect world. We have mortal and corrupt bodies. We have a sin nature. We face temptation, but we anticipate that future glory uh, with God in eternity where we are saved forever. How then are we partakers of this great salvation in this life and in the life to come? We read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we are saved by grace, Christ's work through faith. And we talked about how faith is a threefold, has a threefold element. Faith is knowledge of Jesus Christ. Faith is belief in Jesus Christ and the work that he did. So we have knowledge, we have belief, and then finally, faith is measured by obedience to his word or his commandments. So we have knowledge, belief, and obedience. That is how faith is measured. Two weeks ago, we talked about the power of repentance, that act of faith that puts us on the road to salvation. And so the word repent means to change our mind, to change directions. The scripture says in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's the imagery 
of repentance, where you turn from your life of sin, walking your own way to serving God. And so four elements of repentance we talked about was the recognition of sin, the confession of sin, the contrition of sin, and the decision to forsake sin. Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. And last week, we talked about the importance and power of baptism in the name of Jesus. And this is something that was both commanded and practiced by Jesus and his apostles. Baptism is an act of faith and obedience whereby we take on the identity of Christ and become his child. We are named after Jesus Christ. It's a name change. Galatians chapter 3, 26, we talked about, for you, all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so, because I am Christ, I live differently. Because I am Christ, I live differently in this life, and I have a hope of a future glory. I have a future hope, and I am heirs to a promise. Tonight, as we conclude this series, we will look again at Peter's instructions to those who were convicted of their sins in Acts chapter 2. I encourage you to grab your Bible to open it up. As I walk through these passages, I encourage you to write these notes down, both for your sake and if you were ever to share this with somebody else, I think this will help you uh, share with them the, the power that comes by obedience to the Word of God. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said this in Acts chapter 2. In Peter's instructions to those wanting to know what should they do about their sin, what should they do about the conviction they felt, Peter gave them three specific elements, repentance, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about repentance and we've talked about baptism, and I would like to talk tonight about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why did Peter emphasize the receiving of the Holy Spirit? Was not just repentance enough? Was not baptism enough? He said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We could answer the question, why did Peter emphasize the receiving of the Holy Spirit by saying, because it is and was a gift. If you buy a gift for someone, you want them to have it. You don't want to have them hold on to it or 
don't, you don't want to hold on to it indefinitely while they wait for the gift. You want to give them the gift. And so Peter is emphasizing something. He's saying that this spirit is a gift. It's something that God wants to give. In verse 39, he says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and all to all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So what was the promise? Was the promise repentance? Was the promise baptism? Or was the promise the gift of the Holy Spirit? I would suggest tonight that Peter in this passage is not saying that the promise is repentance or baptism or that he's just creating his own formula for success or own formula for salvation, but he is actually repeating what Jesus told him, and then he's making sure they understand the application of what Jesus said. So let's now look at Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Let's look at how Jesus communicates this idea to Peter. Luke chapter 24, verse 45, it says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So Jesus has died, he's buried, he's rose again, he's appearing to his disciples, and he begins to open their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he says to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Then he said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus tells the disciples, Peter is right there in the middle of it. And he tells them that the reason that Christ died, was buried and rose again, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. We talked about repentance. We talked about baptism in Jesus' name. And he says, Behold, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. I'm going to send something to you. It's a gift, but you're not going to receive it until you get to Jerusalem. And when I send it, you're going to receive it. It's going to be an experience that you understand what is happening. He said, because you'll be endued with power from on high. The promise was going to come up. Upon you, and you would be endued with power from on high. That word endued there, is, it literally means to cloak, that there's going to be something that happens to you in Jerusalem that you're going to know that you've been uh, uh, wrapped up in God's power. And so, after he told them this, told them about the promise that was to come. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50, it says, he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him. And then they did what he told them to do. They returned to Jerusalem. 
with great joy and were in continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They knew that the promise was going to happen in Jerusalem, so they went to Jerusalem and they were continually praising and blessing God, praising and blessing God, day after day, praising and blessing God. So here we find this obedience and anticipation of the promise. They believe God is going to give them a gift, so they're, they arrive at Jerusalem. They're praising and blessing God. So let's pick up what happens from here. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, When they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and when they had entered, they went up into an upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, the, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All of these people, disciples, family, friends, are gathered. They are anticipating this promise It's going to be something extraordinary. They're believing that they're going to be cloaked in the power of God. So here they are waiting, but not a waiting of just sitting around with their arms folded, wondering if this is going to happen, what's really going to happen. No, an active waiting, a waiting where they believe that a gift, the promise is coming. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember, day after day, they had been coming. Day after day, they were in one accord. And this day was no different. They were in one accord. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. It's wrapping them up. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here it was, the promise of the Father had come to them with power, with extraordinary demonstration and manifestation. And here they received the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the scripture tells us that this was a semi-public experience, so much so that it says in verse number five that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. What was the sound? The sound was them speaking in another language, this this audible sound of, of these languages being spoken. Spoken, this uproar of languages, and it, it probably sounded uh, something that they had never heard before, all these languages being spoken at the same time, and everyone heard them uh, speak in his own language. They rushed over to the, to the building, and they, they listened in, and they're like, wait a second, that's my language. Wait, that's my language. And they, they heard this Spirit of God being poured out with these languages, but they didn't understand that it was the Spirit of God. They just knew people were acting crazy, and there would have been great joy and demonstration. 
And they heard them speaking in their own language, so they, they, they wondered. They, they couldn't make sense of it. They knew that these were Jews, and they knew that they were not. They were from uh, uh, Galilee. They, they, they knew that they were not. Uh, they shouldn't have known these languages. And so they thought, well, maybe they're drunk. Maybe they, they've somehow got a hold of some uh, uh, thing that would give them a high or a buzz that would allow them to, to kind of go into another state mentally. But Peter stands up and he assures them that they have not lost their mind, but in fact have experienced something that was foretold of from the prophets in the Old Testament. And so it's from this this moment that Peter then uh, uh, begins to preach to them, and he, he understands that they have just experienced this extraordinary gift. Imagine Peter and those disciples, they, they don't even hardly know what's happened, and now people are accusing them of being drunk, but something comes over him, and he begins to preach, and he, he understands that they're Jews, so he's going to preach from the, the Old Testament. And, and, and finally, he gets done preaching to them and preaches to them about Jesus Christ, how, how he came to save the world. And the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized because the words of Jesus came to his mind. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. So he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And oh, yes, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter circles back around to the words of Jesus, and he says that this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit that we just received, that you just heard us receive, guess what? That promise is for you. And it's not just for you, it's for your children. And it's not just for your children, it's for all who are afar off. You can receive it too. That's so incredible to me. And so we'll skip forward Quickly, it would be a few years later when a Gentile man, an outsider who wasn't a Jew, his name was Cornelius. He was hungry for God, and God tells him, God tells Cornelius to send for a man named Peter, and this man Peter will will tell you how to be saved. By the time Peter arrives to his house, there is a decent crowd that has gathered Peter then, like he did on the day of Pentecost, he begins to preach to them. He begins to preach to them about Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ came to deal with your sins. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And let me tell you tonight that while I'm speaking this word, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait to come into a church service. You don't have to wait to be baptized. But while Peter was speaking the word, they began to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And those Jews who believed of the circumcision were astonished as many as came with Peter, Peter's entourage. They were, they were just amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How amazing it was that the Gentiles 
had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they were somehow heirs to this promise of God. How did they know that they received the Spirit? How did Peter know that they had received the Spirit? It says in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how the Jews knew that this was the same deal that we experienced on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter answered, to the, to, said to Cornelius, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name just as we have, and you need to, be, uh, to have this experience because they've received the Holy Spirit. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And here we find again the Holy Spirit coming with the experience of speaking in other tongues. Now, this is a terrific, terrific story because we realize a few things here. And let me quickly point them out. We realize that Cornelius had a relationship with God before he was ever baptized in Jesus' name and before he ever received the Holy Spirit. He had a real relationship with God. And that's important for you and I to understand that God heard his prayer that God saw his acts of faith, that God saw his fasting. And we must realize that God hears the prayers of those who do not, have not uh, been baptized in Jesus' name and have not received the power of the Spirit, that God can have a real relationship with them. God's ear is bent to all of humanity. But we also realize that just because God heard Cornelius and God responded towards Cornelius and God was working in Cornelius's life, that God was not finished with Cornelius and God had more for him. And so God sends Peter to him to continue to explain all that God wants for his life. And so after this experience, and I'm moving quickly now, after this experience with Cornelius, Peter is summoned to meet with the church leaders, these Jewish leaders. They, they want to know what happened there, these Gentiles. We, we weren't anticipating the Gentiles having this experience. Tell us about it. And so we understand in this context that it's not only an important moment for Cornelius, but this moment is an important moment for the early church's theology. In Acts chapter 11, verse 1, I want to read through this quickly. If you'll grab your Bible. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? They were upset that he had somehow began to interact with the, the Gentiles. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. It came to me, and I observed it intently. I, I considered it. I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And these were things that he didn't want to eat. But he heard a voice saying, Peter, rise and eat. 
And I said, no, Lord, for, for no, nothing common or unclean has come into my mouth. But the voice answered me again and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And he said, this happened three times. And all, every time it was drawn back into heaven. And he said, at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing and so these six people accompanied me, and we entered into Cornelius' house. And he says then, Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel who said to him, send to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And what did this angel say to Cornelius? The angel said to go send for Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. So Peter is explaining to Cornelius, not a few added bonus things. Hey, have you considered this? No, Peter is going to explain to them how they find the road to salvation. And as he said, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. He hearkens back to the day of Pentecost, and he said, just like we spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, these two began to speak in other tongues. Then he said, I remembered the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So here, Peter ties believing in the Lord Jesus Christ to the experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when they heard these things, they became silent. Those Jews who were listening to Peter speak became silent. And they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Repentance to life. I love that phrase, repentance to life. Death to life. Peter explains that they had experienced repentance to life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And that within this story of Cornelius, you find repentance, you find baptism in Jesus' name, and you find the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we could say that the message that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 was, was just for the Jewish crowd that, that had gathered as they, they had that experience, but... I would tell you that when we look at the message that Peter preached to the Gentiles, the outsiders, those who did not have a spiritual heritage or pedigree, it was the same message that he preached on the day of Pentecost. And herein, we find the importance of every step of the road, on the road to salvation. We must repent. We must acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. We must confess our sins. We should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and take on his identity as his child. We need to receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit, that experience that is verified with a supernatural experience of speaking in an unknown language that is so powerful, it is so wonderful. It is the promise of the Father. And so Peter said, for the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for everyone. This promise of the Father is for everyone. The question that many people ask is, do I have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? Again, I think the question misses the mark. God's Spirit is a gift. It's a promise. It's something that God is trying to give us. And so, just as any gift, you receive it with thanksgiving. You receive it with open arms. That is what we are doing when we say we want to receive his spirit. I'm not trying to speak in tongues so I can go to heaven. I want to experience all that God has. And if that experience calls on me to surrender my language to him so that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's spirit dwells and inhabits my life, I'll receive it. And so he wants to be in relationship to us. He wants to reconcile us. So he gives us a new language, a new way to speak. He identifies us as his child, and he speaks to us through his spirit. So to ask, do I have to experience the beautiful power experience of receiving the Holy Spirit to be saved is off balance The statement is, I get to receive this spirit. I get this gift. God wants it for me. He wants it for you. He wants it for everybody who is afar off. And so quickly I conclude, what is the purpose of this spirit coming in our lives? Three reasons, quick, why the spirit would, why God would want us to have his spirit. In a past tense, the infilling of the Holy Spirit represents the moment We come alive spiritually in this world. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so when we are filled, that initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, when we receive his spirit, God is breathing the word spirit. The reason I use the word spirit instead of ghost most times is because spirit represents breath. It's the breath of God being breathed into us. And so God's spirit, God breathes into us the breath of life. And just as Adam became alive, we too, when the spirit of God comes in our life, that initial time, we become alive in the spirit. First Peter chapter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is what makes us alive, and that's why we seek to be filled with the Spirit. In the past, we received this Spirit. In the present sense, the Holy Spirit is active in our life. John chapter 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is an active help in our life. 
John chapter 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He is the Spirit of God is a helper. God's Spirit helps us overcome sin in our life. Romans chapter 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. It helps us to live an overcoming life. And so the Holy Spirit, we realize in this present life, helps us to live a holy life. If we're called to live holy, if we're called to walk on the road to holiness, we're only able to do it by a holy God, a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And we also realize it's in the present tense, the Spirit of God is meant to help us bless others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one of us receives the Spirit so we can help other people, that we can allow the Spirit of God to use us to bring healing, to bring words of wisdom, to bring uh, 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 healing and faith and those kind of things into people's lives. So the Spirit of God is to bring help into the world. And in a future sense, the Holy Spirit is given to resurrect us from this life. Romans chapter 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You and I are going to be lifted out of this world because of the Spirit of God who makes us alive, that gives us a new body, brings life to our mortal beings. And I conclude by asking you a question that Paul asked John's disciples while Paul was in, a, uh, while Paul was in Corinth, he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we, are not, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And then, John, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is my prayer for you today, that you would experience all that God has for you. You would experience the true grace of God. And so I ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed in Jesus Christ? If not, you can tonight. You can repent of your sins, and you can begin a new life with him. I'm going to have you ask this question to somebody near you. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed in Jesus Christ? And if you have not, I encourage you to pray and seek to receive his spirit. And if you have, I want you to, to, to describe that experience to somebody near you. 
I hope you had a chance to share with somebody your experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. What a glorious moment. I can remember as a child receiving God's Spirit as eight years old and just having that experience at the front of the church. I remember I started by praying. I remember I was facing the pulpit, and by the time I was done praying and receiving the Spirit, I had somehow been turned around or I turned around and was just praying, crying, and what a beautiful experience that was. So how do you walk the road to salvation? We need saved from our sins. We are hopeless. Jesus is the only answer. And we receive his kindness and we receive his grace through faith. And that's how we begin that road to salvation. It begins with faith, a faith that is measured by obedience. So I tell you the same thing Peter told those who wanted to be saved from their sin. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to stay on that road to salvation. Stay on that road to salvation by growing in grace. Peter said, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. It's a road that leads from death to life, from repentance to life. That's the hope that we have by being on the road to salvation. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, God, for your word that speaks to us, your word that does not leave us, Lord, clueless or confused or in doubt, but you have some amazing things planned for us. I thank you for the opportunity to repent of our sins, to turn from them. I thank you for the opportunity to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness of sins. I thank you for the opportunity of baptism, to receive your name, to be your child. I thank you for your spirit that empowers us, that helps us, that allows us, Lord, to, to have power in this world, to overcome sin and to bless others. I thank you for your grace that guides us every day, that allows us, Lord, to grow into who you want us to be, to ultimately to find eternal life with you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.